welcome to another... The official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. The Leaky Cauldron. Do you hear that, Ern? The Leaky Cauldron. Just go. You're wasting time. Welcome to Pottercast, the official podcast of The Leaky Cauldron, your number one source for theories, news and discussion, and interviews from the books and the films like me, Rupert Grint. I play Ron Weasley in the Harry Potter films. And now your host, Melissa, John and Sue. Welcome, welcome to Lucky Number Pottercast 118. Howdy, howdy. Hello, howdy, howdy. It is, once again, I'm Melissa, I'm here with John and Sue, and we are in for another week of awesome Harry Potter fun. Wow. But before, wow, before we do that, how about we hear from some, I don't know, book people? Books. People who sell books? Book people. people who, and yeah, movies? what about people who sell books? And games? And movies and, and other stuff? And music? music? Wait, save it for the ad. Haven't read Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows yet? Don't worry, Borders is here to help. Pick up your copy of this summer smash hit soon. You won't be able to hide from the spoilers forever. You can count on Borders to have it in stock and ready to take home tonight, along with the audiobook version. Even if you've read the book, the Harry Potter fun doesn't have to end yet. Visit BordersMedia.com or click on the Borders banner at the top of the podcast page to find out more. You know, if you haven't read that book yet, you need to turn this thing off. I, I do gotta say, though... If you are planning on, like so many of you are, trying to uh, catch Joe walking in the door when she comes over here for her little book tour, and you're trying to get an autograph, don't bring the you know crinkled coffee-stained copy you've been you were up all night with yeah. reading, like like my book certainly looks like. Bring a go buy to go to Borders buy a fresh one, right. and take good care of the you know the the dust jacket cover thing. And make sure that that thing is in pristine condition when you hand it to her. So get a special edition. Sure, why not? <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't have a special edition yet. Actually, you know what I'm going to get been, is I'm, and I'm going to get it before the before Joe comes to town. This the that special box set of all six. I'm finally going to have a copy of all the books. I'm so excited. I'm, Are you going to lug that thing around, Sue? I am. <laughs> I, I truly am. I I don't actually. I mean, Doesn't it come in a trunk or something cool? It does. It looks like yeah, a Yeah, it's in trunk. like a bread basket. I'm going to totally use that as a lunchbox. No, I'm not going to let you I'm going to take all the books out. I'm going to get one for me. No. No, oh, I'm yeah, getting one cool. and I'm putting it away for my imaginary children. <laughs> do, you, do you play The Sims? You know, it's more, <laughs> it'll be more useful for me with Sims children than with than with real ones. So yeah, oh. I'll play The Sims and I'll give it to them. They should have it as one of the items, you know, in The Sims. Yes. You can give that. You can give them the Harry Potter books. That'd be sweet. You know, and like you, you, you give them the book, okay, and they they, okay. they go to their room for like two days straight, and they don't come out. Hey guys, I'll give you. We're, we need to do the news, but before we do that, I'll give you a little tease. We'll talk about it after the news. Oh, I just came back from from uh, from Georgia. Going down to Georgia. Georgia. She was looking for some souls to steal. You were you were down in the in the deep south. How nice. I was down in the deep south. And I'll, I'll 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 leave it there, and I bet a bunch of you listening are going to figure out why. I'll tell you about it after we do the news. Were you toilet papering again? I was. You always Oops. travel to distant places to toilet paper people. It's so yes, such a waste of time and travel. TP All your right. own neighborhood. News, Sue. Well, what's going on? Uh, well, we ha- actually finally we this will it just right before we're at uh, filming is about to start um, on Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. We now have casting of Horace Slughorn, and it's been confirmed that it is actor Jim Broadbent. Yay! Yay! It's funny we just talked about him last week. Yes, very spooky. Amazing. Uh-huh. Tell me again about this guy. 
He was in. He was Moulin Rouge and and Bridget. He's the Bridget Jones dad. For those of you, the dad and Bridget Jones is so wonderful. He's just oh, he's, such. He's, a he's one actor. of these actors. It's just very calming and. Yeah, he just makes you feel like you're watching a friend instead of an, an actor, you know? Oh, but, I mean, he's an Academy Award-winning actor. I mean, I just, I mean, again, mm-hmm. the casting in these films is extraordinary. And this man, if it, we have, we have our, our, our galleries crew came through, and the day that we this came out, that we have a whole ton of photos of him, so you can see him all his different looks. But I just think he looks the part. Yeah, I, I, mean, I just is great, you know. And uh, and and he described it he uh, with our friend Garth. God. Right, John. Garth. Garth. Yeah, uh, Garth. We've had been it. on the show several times. Yes, just a few. Yeah. We'll be again one day. Yes. Um, Garth asked him about his costumes, and he said they're going to be Tweety sort of things with padding. Nice. I love it. Just so cool. Tweety. So Tweety. When we first see Slughorn, he's pretending he's pretending to be an armchair. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know. It's true. It's right on. There you go. And Jim Broadbent does sort of have that plushy look. It's good. He it's does. Good. It's all good. He does. You know that. I think I just found people. something of li- online of him singing something. Well, he was in Moulin Rouge from Ziegfeld. Moulin Rouge, John. Because we can, can, can. Yeah. Okay, John. <laughs> was that him? <laughs> Disco Slughorn. <laughs> the Slughorn song. <laughs> That was him. That's the Slughorn song. That's what we're going to call Every time we mention Slughorn from now on, I want... Da, 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 right in it. Oh, I got up and danced to that one, John. That was awesome. Oh, John, you're a lunatic. Okay. Slughorn. Oh, my goodness. Slughorn. Oh. Slughorn. Well... You missed your cue. Slughorn. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's gonna be like the buzzer in the middle of nowhere. We're gonna go slughorn. Because we can, can, can. <laughs> Very nice. <Yay>! I'm <laughs> getting better. I'm getting better. Okay. What else is up? Oh soon? my goodness. Well, we're, now we're still on the on the movie thing. We have big news. Con- confirmation finally about the DVD. Now you're saying, well, what is this? What's the big deal about the DVDs? Well, the Order of the Phoenix DVD is coming out in the UK on November 12th. Ooh. But. In the United States, we have to wait one month, and we won't get it till. The- I will. That's a load of crap. It is. Yeah, I will make a bet. I'm going to make a bet right now. They are going to change that date. We're going to get it in November, like everybody else. Yeah. I'm going to put money on that. They're, they're going to pull uh, an apple I on mean. us and do an open letter to all the fans and be like, "We're going to put it out a month earlier now." No, because they know that they're asking. The, they're just asking for piracy beyond belief if they do I that. Mean, oh my God, the I market know. is so much bigger, the want so much bigger in the US. The it's demand just, will be so huge. Yeah, no. I was floored by that. I was I thought, well what you know, because the and the, very early in the morning the press release came out from the UK and I thought, oh and I got up right away and I posted and I was like, oh, you know. And then very at the end of the day, Warner Brothers in here in the United States and I'm like, December eleventh? What? At first I thought it was a typo, yeah. you know, or a mistake, but then For real. no. Nope, it's one. I want to know is when is Pottercast DVD commentary coming out for Order of the Phoenix? Hmm. Well, I think we have two other films to do before we do Order of the Phoenix. I think that we should make a point to record DVD commentaries for those other two films before the DVD comes out. It's funny you say that because some people were just asking for it. People ask for it all the time. All the time. (laughs) Every other week, every week we get an email about that. All right. Let's let's try and do one this week and have it out by the end of September. Oh, that could be crazy. 
Crazy okay. rocking. Yeah. Can we do it? There you it? go. Only 13 and a half weeks left to go until that actually comes true, guys. Yeah. So. Well, what do you think Slughorn would say about that? Love it. I don't know, John. What would Slughorn? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> like that music. <laughs> uh, speaking of stuff that we were talking about last week, uh, it looks like Harry uh, and the Order of the Phoenix will be coming out on HD and Blu-ray. Yes, on both. Both. And all the films mm-hmm. are, as a matter of fact, and they are now available in our shop for pre-order. All the films on all the different formats, both HD and um, Blu-ray, are going to be released. Head on over it. to the Cauldron Shop. Yes, they're in our Cauldron the Shop. Thecauldronshop.com Along with that limited edition DVD gift set, which is available both in regular standard form or uh, you know, format as well as the high definition, so you can get either one. Because I'm going to get that DVD gift set because it has that game. Well, if I get ever get a PlayStation Three or an Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty or one of these things that plays HD, then I'll then I'll get it. But I'm not buying a new DVD player. They can just you could just well, forget it. Well, Santa is going is has been our ask already for PS Three from my son, so maybe PS Three. That's huge. I know. Seriously, one little Upton has got has got caviar tastes over there. I know he does. <laughs> <laughs> Could not too, probably not too much a subtle hint from mom saying, hey, you know, this would be a lot yeah. of fun. <laughs> hey, you know, mom could use that too. <laughs> one more thing. One more thing. Um, as we had mentioned, our, our friend Miss Jo is coming to the United States on her open book tour. And a ton of readers from the Leaky Cauldron have written in to let us know that they got tickets from the Scholastic thing. There, she's doing a couple events, one in Los Angeles, one in New Orleans, which are available only to school children, and one in New York. And the one in New York, they had a, a raffle con- sweepstakes for people to go enter. And we've gotten just a ton of readers that said they entered through Leaky and they, they got two tickets to go see Joe. And uh, But Joe has added another stop now, and this will make all of our Canadian friends happy that she's going to go to Canada as well. So Very nice. What's she going to do up there? Oh, Canada. I don't know. She's going to go. on guard for thee. Going to go. That'll be fun. Yeah. For but that's good. That, you know, it's a contest through. Head. We have links on our site to the Raincoast people, and you can go enter once a day and, and – uh, so I thought that was really good, you know. Do, so do they, do they test that you're Canadian when you get when you win? <laughs> I don't. I what don't. is there like a blood test involved? I'm just saying, like, oh, it's going to be flooded with all people who think that they could just who didn't get the other tickets. And, yeah, you know? I think you have to be Canadian. And one last thing I want to say too, because I, I'm I, we're talking about the books just briefly. That too, that there are more and more covers of all the different um, international uh, cover art for the different uh, versions, and we got one in, and we just posted it just today of the Ukrainian version. And if you have not chance to see some dramatic cover art, you should go to yeah. our galleries and check this one oh, out. For Deathly Hollows? Yes. Yeah. Ooh. Very dramatic. Really cool. Very cool. It, 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 it almost looked like Rupert Grint was on the cover. And, and, really? And, I know. Very dramatic, Ron. Very dramatic, Hermione. Anyway, so to follow up on the tease from before, I just came back from Georgia. What you doing down there? I went down there for two days, and I got to interview the one, the only, Ms. Laura Mallory. Oh! You're kidding. Of, oh, my goodness. Yeah, of 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 trying to ban Harry Potter fame. It's for How book- did you trick her into that? Stop, I didn't trick her. She's a, I mean, I got I got to tell you, I went down with a certain set of conceptions. Some of them were were, were, were proven correct. Some of them were proven very wrong. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I have a grudging respect. Really? For her conviction, you know, oh, sure. it's, it was a really, it was a couple of hours, really fascinating. And I think in the next, I'm going to pick a clip and we're going to play um, a little bit because I talked to her about, about possibly playing a little bit. Oh, excellent. It wasn't 
I mean, I think that the hate that she gets, I understand the passion, but I think that the cruelty that she gets is probably misplaced because she hasn't done anything illegal or or outright mean. No. She's she's a kind woman, you know? This is for the book that I'm working on about the about the Harry Potter fandom and she just seemed to be so very much the symbol of the of the censorship and the and the the religious fervor around Harry Potter that I really wanted an interview with her and I it took a while. <laughs> but she finally she finally consented and and it was uh Can I ask you and it was really crazy. And I don't want to cast well, aspersions on her. I mean and the one thing joy about this country is that people are free to express their opinions and to think that the way that they choose and I and I think that's wonderful. But did you get the impression that she understood that this is a work of fiction and I mean Yes, she was. She knows that it's that. a fictional series. She, she knows that it's a fictional series. The inherent, the inherent thing she doesn't is that she believes um, that witchcraft is absolutely real and exists in the world, and that it's driving kids to experiment in that arena, which I, I personally don't agree with. But I don't know everything in the world, you know. But you know, yeah, it's real. It was really fascinating. Wow. Wow, but you know, I just, I just What's find. I, did you, or did you talk to her about the issue of banning? And 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 I just, I'm so curious because we are on next week yeah. uh, on the 29th of September starts. Um, I believe book ban book week here in the United States, and it's a cause that, oh, we, yeah. that we take that very week. dearly. Oh my! And uh, you know, here you are. Well, that's perfect then to next week play a clip. Perfect. We did that on purpose. Actually, it was all planned out yeah. that way. Totally. Totally. Whoops. Right. You yeah. know, I, I want to expect respect her right to, to practice a religion as she sees fit, but yet she wants to take away my right to read or children's right to read. And I just, I find this kind of incongruous and just obviously very, and um, it's, I, I just, I, I'm, I can't wait to read that interview and hear that interview, Melissa, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's, um it's not all for podcast. I obviously have to save, save the big things in it for the, and it kills me because my first instinct is to say, Put this on Leaky, right. you know, it's a news story. Like it's, but, and, but I have to, you know, this is for the book, but, um, that doesn't mean that I can't share some of it and, and give general gists. It was, it was really illuminating for me. It was really, truly illuminating. And I feel like I can write about her failure now, which is really what I was aiming for because I don't want to just present this stereotype that everybody has about her. I mean, do you know how many people asked me before I went down there if I was, if she was going to have horns, you know? Jeez. That's so not it nice. was so prevalent, but, and I sort of like, I really sort of understand more where she's coming from now. I'm really happy for that. So clip of that is coming next week for Band Books Week, the way we planned it all along. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just so, I mean, okay, <sighs> I won't. I'll just save it because there's so much. I mean, does she not get the, the overt Christianity themes in the books? And it's just. We talked about that. It's, every time you get into a really heated like argument, you hit up against the wall of belief. There's just, you cannot argue when somebody says, this is just what I believe. Yeah. You know, what do you do? You don't believe in it. You were just yeah. kidding. You were kidding. You were, don't you know? <laughs> no, you can't, you know. And every time we'd hit that, it'd be so frustrating for like a, a journalist, a person who's trying to go at it from like a, a real logical, you try to understand in, 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 in empirical evidence and you hit against faith. And I'm not a person without faith, but to try to understand when it requires a leap of faith, it's interesting. It was interesting to me. It was one of the most challenging interviews I've ever done. Oh, I can imagine. Because you can get, it's so easy working in news to get, you can just, you try so hard to be professional and it's so hard not to become emotional when you're so invested in this issue, yeah. you know, and it just, and, and yet you're dealing oh, with yeah. someone who is just uh, uh, so resolute in their opinion. 
you know, mm-hmm. and I just and wow. you try not to convince her because you're not really going to convince right. her of anything. Like you go into that knowing that you're not going to convince her right. of anything, but you you just can't help yourself sometimes from saying, "But don't you think that blah blah blah?" And isn't it contradictory to say blah blah blah? You know, you find yourself getting heated. But she's a very kind woman, and I really appreciate the time that she spent with me. And, yes, um, yes, obviously, we'll see. That's really cool. Oh. Oh, all right. So what do we have on tap for this week? Let's think about it. Whoa. We got Scrooby Five. Scrooby Five. Scrooby Five. Scrooby Five. We have a Phoenix Files. We have a Canon. I love the Canon one. Canon. drums. This, this week's Canon Conundrum is very, it's about the math yes, voice, it right? Is. I think that was a pretty darn good one, if I do say so. One of those ones that I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. Yeah. And then as we were recording, I was like, hmm. Sometimes yeah. those smaller topics like that. Turn out to be the better canon conundrums. I don't know why. It's true. Because you're able to more narrow in on things, which is kind of the whole point of canon conundrums. But you know, our friend Steve will be there. All right. Well then, yeah. Our friend Steve is there, and now let's push off and do that, and we will be back at the end. Hooray! Wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. Welcome, welcome to Phoenix, Phoenix Files, where we talk about the movie. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We're back. <laughs> I'm oh, in a musical mood. another awesome intro. <laughs> intro. <laughs> intro. Whatever oh, it is. Why be boring? Why be boring? Uh, Come on, baby. Wake up. Let's we talk couldn't movies, be boring baby. if we Let's... tried. Okay. What are we discussing this week? On this week's Phoenix Files, we're going to discuss the scenes that happen after the trial on Harry's way to school, all the things and visions he encounters on the train, and all the way up until when he meets his new little friend, Miss Luna Love Good. But first we gotta go, because every girl's crazy about a sharp-dressed Dark Lord. I love what? this scene. This is the scene, right? Well, when he goes back to school. and Oh, when you see Voldemort, see. the the Voldy wears Prada. Yeah, Voldy wears Prada, baby. He's styling. He's making oh. it work. Why did they pick, of all the things to put him in, at, 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 a, at a wizard train station, he's wearing the most muggle outfit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Why the suit? I don't, you know? He wanted to blend in. He wanted to be like everybody else there. And what's that thing he's always done with his neck? Harry starts doing it too. You know, you know the, the move I'm talking about, where yeah. it looks like he's trying to like screw his head on straight. Yeah, it's when you're being possessed. That's the motion you're supposed to make with your head, like you're stretching, I'm, like you're doing yoga. Yeah, you're like, Ugh. yeah. Like his collar's a little too tight. It's just supposed to look creepy. If he was just standing there, the person I think it would look creepier if he was just standing there, just staring at oh. Harry. Like what? Okay, What's yeah, up? seriously. Here I am. Because he's he's. Powder white, no nose, red eyes, and that's not creepy enough. And he's wearing a suit, and he's got no hair. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Not creepy. Let's add some creepy. I get creeped out by people with no hair, period. Done. Um, <laughs> oh, no. You know, I really wondered my, how my they were going to go. doesn't have any hair. Oh, God. You know. He shaves we're his not head, gonna, though. But. All, all bald people in the world now are going to call and send their emails to John Noe. <laughs> That'd be so fun. I could make like a whole filter for bald people email. Oh, boy. John, you're going to get a very angry email no. from Arthur Levine. <laughs> Arthur Levine has hair now, doesn't he? I think he does have uh, hair now. But it's, it's, a, it's a choice thing. No hair. Looks sexy. Unless you're, not, unless you're the Dark Lord. 
So. Yeah, see, mm-hmm. Dark Lord can pull it off. Good. <laughs> I don't think so, John. Okay, anyway, anyway. We yeah, can... I wasn't sure how <laughs> they were going to do that, that whole, like, mind possession kind of thing. And that was really an yeah. interesting choice. It, and, and to wait to do the, the, the trauma on the train was really kind of an interesting choice on Yates' part. So I got to say, I gave them a lot, uh, you know? We, we skipped something huge. Well, oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. Serious in his freaking, I want to say the word, but I can't. He's in, a, he's in like a... A pea coat? Yeah, he's in this coat and nothing else. What is that? What? Explain. I know. Why is, well, is he bare-chested under the coat? What's the deal? Because he was in his PJ. No. Well, you know, at first I thought it was maybe that, John. But but then, you know, I know if they're trying to do the animagus thing, but when they transform no. out, I mean, you know, like in, if you want to be continuity, I mean, look at the rat in Prisoner of Azkaban was fully dressed. You know, and Lupin was too when he from the werewolf. Oh, could you imagine if he wasn't fully dressed though? Oh, well, well, my question. Rumtail showing up without any clothes on <laughs> that freaking <laughs> shack. That would have been a whole other scene. No, but listen, but listen. He, in Prisoner of Azkaban, he he shows up. He transforms into a human with clothes on. Right. When he transforms back into a rat, he leaves his clothes on the floor. I know. Maybe it's like a matter of concentration. Uh, when you're doing your transformation. Uh, and if you don't concentrate hard enough, you can't bring your clothes so along with you. Let's say for argument's sake that yeah. he didn't have clothes on yeah. when he transformed. Yeah. Where'd he get the coat from? That's a good question. I mean, th- th- I don't know if was that just to show, make him look semi-sexy kind of out there? Yeah, I don't I, know what. I think he actually put that on before he left the house. Yeah. I think he forgets that he's like 30 years older than he used to be. Yeah, maybe so. Probably. Very creepy. It was. It just made him kind of look kind of perverty. I mean, I hate to say that because I love yeah. Sirius Black, but oh. I did. I was like, what is that about? He was trying to give Harry a happy send-off. Give him something to remember him by. Um, you know, I we're not even going down that road. Uh, you saw the winks that he was giving him the whole <laughs> darn film. He did, he did give a few winks. I don't know what's that all about, but... Well, <laughs> come on, Sirius. Sirius is hip and cool. Yeah. I mean, he does, say, he does talk about how often that he reminds him of of James. It makes me think about what kind of relationship they had back well, then. Well, you know, and it was nice. So, is this when he talks, is this the scene when he talks then about the, the original Order of the Phoenix and he shows the photograph? <laughs> it gives him the photo. And, and yes. I have to, uh, you know, of all the things, because they cut out the the, uh, the St. Mungo scene. I was very upset about that. They cut out the woes of Mrs. Weasley and the Bogart in the in the, I don't know what the cupboard was, but they put that photograph in and that was such a, yeah. a, a just a really powerful moment, I thought. I mean, because you saw James and Lily there. Yeah. Well, does does the mirror, if Harry, like, like says Padfoot into the photograph, does uh, the Sirius t- turn up in the picture and start talking to him? No. No. But what else they put photograph. into, since they did not put St. Mungo's in there, is they put Neville's parents, Frank and Alice, and obviously, you know, I, and yeah. I don't know. I like I like how they looked and everything. They looked just like the kind of parents I thought that. Yeah. Even though they're supposed to be auras, they they look so not like auras in that photo, you know. But um, I just I I don't know that I was totally happy with the Neville story. They never were specific about what happened to them. Right. It just said they he, they suffered a fate worse than death, and then Neville says later she tortured my parents, but he never says like they're still alive or right. you know yeah. like there's no. The sadness of, of what's happened to Neville's parents is knowing that they live like that. First of all, that they went through that, but then they live like that, not recognizing him. That's the ho- that's the horrendous. Yes. And I never yeah. thought about that, really, from that scene, but uh, does he ever say anything about how, like, yeah, they're just living now in nope. the hospital, and they don't even know who I am, and they don't even recognize me? No. no. For, all, for all we know, they could have just been like, oh, they had a terrible weekend, but now they're 
you know, sometimes they think about yeah, it. And we've right. discussed for all you know, for all they know. Yeah. Yeah. We've discussed this before about you know how the that scene is such a quietly powerful moment when when his mom gives him that that gun wrapper and and you realize yeah. that he never had the love of his mom like you know like he never got to hug her and and, and just how that that scene was so power and I was so looking forward to that in the movie and so I was disappointed and I, I mm-hmm. and I don't know if that you know because we didn't learn about it in Deathly Hallows I know I'm way off topic here but I was just I kind of wanted to know about more about the long bottoms and. Yeah, it's a tricky thing that relationship because it makes me almost wonder if their if their condition deteriorated, like as the years went on since the incident because it happened when he was a baby. Yeah. And how many people do you know? I mean, I know a few people who have never known like one of their parents, or you know, right. you know, someone whose dad walked out early on in their life. They never really had a relationship. They don't. There's not really a love relationship there because they're pre- they're as good as strangers. They've never interacted. They've never had a life together. Yeah, but so think about it Harry. So it makes me wonder how much Neville is. No, think about Harry. Yeah, it's the same thing. You know, plus Neville has his grandmother there to tell him about them all the time. He's always yeah, that's true under their shadow. And then if Harry can feel this love and this pull and this desire to know them better about his parents, it's the same bittersweet thing. Yeah. yeah, but and, but but oh, that, that background is so it's so key though to to Neville and his story. You know, it's it's not a pivotal role to some extent. It's not really pivotal, but I mean, he's important, obviously. But you know, it's just a, a thing for him and his character. And and I just wanted that to see that in the film. And I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get that kind of background about Neville because it was alluded to in the past that they had seen torture in Goblet of Fire, mm-hmm. if we remember. And that scene, remember the scene with the, the stained glass crying that was so lovely that Newell had shot that, and then. And now we didn't really follow up. Okay, so no. they get on the train. Yes. Harry's having the weird dreams. Hermione gives a troubled look. She's got a book in her hand. Yay for a character set up for Hermione. And Is it the same dream he's having, do you think? Like, when we see him on the platform, do you, like, we're not, it's not going, like, platform scene and then train scene. It's, there, that scene on the platform was Harry's dream, and then we find him on the train. Well, you see so Harry right, in it? the train station, but not beyond, you know, like, after. But that's his dream, right? That's his dream. That's not, like, actually watching it as it's happening. I think that's a dream. No, that's a dream. Is that when, like, Draco walks by and taunts him? Do we, we actually see... Yes. That's when they arrive. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I thought so. Cause, I mean, there are so many moments in the books where one of, one of the trio has to hold the other back by the elbows from, from stalking somebody. And it finally happened in the movies. Yes. Yeah. yeah it does. Right. Hmm. Anyway. So we get to school, and we have Woo! the Thestrals. What are those creepy looking things? Well, no, first, first we see Harry's first little glance with Cho. Right. Yes. You know, and then you turn around and there's a, like a, like. What are noggles? Well, no, first you have the Thestrals. Yes, yes, yes. Wait, we forgot all about seeing Neville come in with his Mimbleus Mimbletonia. Yes. Oh, no. yes, they had that. See, that's another scene. A creepy thing. Oh. So anyway, so then we, then, then, you know, Harry sees the, these weird skeletal horses says, yeah. what's this? Hermione acts like he's crazy. I sort of didn't like how Hermione was sort of dismissive of yeah. what he... It's like, hello, Chamber of Secrets, parcel tongue guy. It was for real. He wasn't making it up. Yeah. Did you like the way that the Thestrals were looked on the screen? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I liked them. I've seen, I've seen so much fan art Thestrals before the film came out and so much stuff that, that looked a lot more like a horse. Um, but these, these were 
I mean, especially thinking towards the the baby Thestrals too oh, later on yeah. in the film. They've really, really thought that out, and I'm I'm never disappointed with this art department. They kick so much butt from Buckbeak to these guys. Everything's just been dead on. Yeah. Not at all sucking up to these no, people. No, not at all. But no, I thought they no. thought they did a good <laughs> job on this. I have to say, on that that scene, that 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 camera shot of you, just you know, he looked up and he saw them. I just thought that. Was oh gosh, awesome. yeah, it's it brilliant. Really well done. I really like that. Insane. What would you know? What would you? Because you gotta think. What would you feel like if you looked up and you saw that creepy looking horse? You'd be like, "Whoa!" You know. <laughs> I mean, if I was on a magical train going to a magical yeah. place, there's very few things that could startle me at this point. It's like, wait a second, you shouldn't exist. I've never read anything about you. I am in the magical world, though, so anything could happen. Okay, well, anyway, there's a blonde girl sitting in the. Yeah, but we get our first glimpse at Luna, played by the lovely Ivana Lynch. Yay! Yes, not 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 so much the first glimpse as so much as the first actual time we get to hear her talk. Yeah, as we remember, remember when her casting announcement was made, and uh, we had like two pictures of her, and she was holding her Order of the Phoenix book, I yeah. think. Yes, and uh, the other one was something else she was doing and i remember photoshopping uh, a ravenclaw costume on her and sending them to all the uh sprouting ivana lynch yeah. fan sites <laughs> That's right, saying that did. a new picture and costume did, came out did. it was, it was so hilarious mean. and like was... almost almost all of them bought it too it was so, funny. so mean john <laughs> oh. i'm not i'm a funny guy yeah but it never quite is, made it to the net <laughs> which makes it awesome yeah but uh, so we've seen pictures of of her come out since then, and then lots more since. And we finally get to hear her talk, and everybody says how she just nails the voice for for Luna. She just but nails her whole aura. She's yeah. just a, got this spacey, dreamy, but self assured. Just like, well, yes, my necklace does ward away nargles. Yes, it does. Yeah. You know. And the funny thing is, is that just that character. She's just kind of like an observer, and she's just kind of watching yeah. things and just just amused and bemused and all the other amused. <laughs> all the and muses. It, it makes sense. I mean, it, it just can't, it would fit because if I was there and I was sitting on a carriage suddenly with, you know, the trio and Neville riding a carriage through the forest, I'd have that same look on my face, regardless of if I was supposed to or not. It was really. Um, I mean, it's a perfect character for someone to walk in as someone who was a fan for, yeah. for of, of all of these things for so long. Well, you know, to just kind of get to soak it all in. And uh, can I just know. say my my shot is because the shot of her as a fan when she was sitting there holding the quibbler upside down, camera pans oh, yeah. up, and yes. she's got the necklace, and she just looked the part. And, and just as a fan, yep. I just about wanted to leap out of my chair because. Oh, they put that in, you know, and and I know that she had wanted it in. And she was such a she's such a she talks about what a great fan of the book she is, and, and I just thought, you know, this girl gets it, and she just, I just, I just thought, I'm looking at Luna. That's really Luna, and I love that. It takes such a committal to play that role. You have to really just put all into it, hold nothing back, because it's such a it's such a left of center yeah. kind of role. You can't just be sort of acting as yourself, which our trio. I've loved so much and they've all gotten better and better, but there are elements of themselves in there. Ivana mm-hmm. is very like Luna, but she doesn't have that kind of, no. it's not to the extreme. She couldn't be acting like herself here, you know, 
And she really just, it takes a fan. It takes a real fan of the books to get it and commit yourself to it. And she did. She totally did. Oh, and I just was thrilled, though. But they had the quibbler. I mean, little, little things. It's the little attention to detail. And she had that necklace and the earrings. And I was just like, you know what? You go, girl. Well, they're they're heading up to school. And next, next time around, we get to talk about Ms. Umbridge. Oh, yes. Another brilliant female casting. Yes. Fantastic. And then the start, the beginning. Of Harry's Hell Year in Hogwarts. Cool. Cool. Alright. Let's, let's do more next week. More more Phoenix Files next time. Welcome to Scrivy Five, the five minute podcast of the Leaky Cauldron's premier essay project, Scrivulous. I am Erin, or Calthios. And I am Laura, or Music Cows. Laura, Fred is dead. Yes, Erin, he is. (sighs) Well, he wouldn't want us to cry too much for him, Laura. No, I suppose not. He'd want us joking and running over to Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes, spending all of our money. Yeah, it's funny, you know, one of our authors felt the same way. Kalanox writes in issue 19 in her essay, Fred is Dead, that he wouldn't want us crying at his deathbed. True, true. Yeah, that essay is really fun, though we can't pretend easily not to be all broken up about his death. Nah, I was in a dark funk for a week after the book. I kept thinking about poor George, his holiness, and how lonely he must feel. I know he'd want us to make light of it somehow, but, well, it's hard, Aaron. I know. This essay tries its best, though, observing that about the only person who would likely be happy to see Fred go would be Mr. Filch, who wasn't one to appreciate either Weasley twins' creativity or constant humor. Given their shared mischievous natures, It would be unsurprising to find George memorializing his twin by haunting Filch as Fred's ghost. (laughs) After all, the Weasley twins made Mr. Filch's life even more miserable than it was, if that's actually possible, for the six and a half years they spent at Hogwarts. In fact, it would be just like Filch to be back in his office now wishing George had got it as well. (laughs) Well, that's funny. I can just imagine Filch's face if George really did that. Yeah, me too. So then she writes how much Harry, Harry got from Fred, how he had and George helped Harry by adding fun to his life and making light of the horrible things he was going through. She writes... Who can forget in the twins' fourth year in Chamber of Secrets when he and George cleared a path shouting, Make way for the heir of Slytherin, seriously evil wizard coming through. Fred (laughs) never took those accusations about Harry seriously. He was always loyal to his friends. Ah, yes. Fred was very loyal to Harry, wasn't he? (laughs) Now, Laura, don't make like Hagrid on me here. We need to get through the show. (laughs) Okay, Erin, I'll try to pull it together. (sighs) Did the author say anything about how ingenious Fred was? I mean, he was quite a clever inventor. How is George ever going to survive without Fred? He'll have no one to help him with all of his clever ideas. I mean, no one could ever be a substitute. Okay, stop, Laura, stop. You're doing it again. Hold it together. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, the author did say something great about their ingenuity. Let's see. Um... Ah, here it is. Of course Fred could have strove to be prefect, head boy, and or Quidditch captain like his brothers Charlie, Bill, Ron, and that Pratt Percy. But it takes a big man to rise above such mediocrity to achieve his higher talents. And the king of some of the greatest jokes Hogwarts ever knew will surely go down in history. Explosions were so commonly heard from Fred and George's room growing up that the sound didn't phase anyone. And so what started as a curious tendency to invent practical joke items, rubber haddock wands and canary creams notwithstanding, blossomed into a full-fledged career. While Hermione may have been distressed by their test methods, the ickle first years... The twins used as test subjects seemed to come through unscathed. Fred and George, however, did not always get off as easily. Uncontrollable nosebleeds, unstoppable vomiting, and painful boils in unmentionable places did not <laughs> deter Fred from his creative pursuits. And it was all worth it. The greatest joke shop in the wizard world was born. Though I don't think I'd ever want to skive off class bad enough to take one of their skiving snack boxes. <laughs> yeah, that's true for me. I mean, I hate class as much as the next person, but I think I'd rather just <laughs> suffer through than try a puking pass. <laughs> yes, that's very admirable of you, Laura, but some people are far more desperate than the rest of us to skip another boring lecture. <laughs> yeah, I guess these types of things are very situation-dependent, aren't they? Oh, yes. You never know when a rubber chicken wand might come in handy. It's best to just carry it around with you just in case. In fact, I often wish Dumbledore had buried himself with a rubber chicken wand instead of that <laughs> troublesome and confusing elder wand. I mean, that thing was just endless trouble, really. <laughs> yeah, and you know Dumbledore could be very witty at times, but he couldn't hold a candle to Fred's sense of humor. No, indeed, Laura. And if Dumbledore had only confided in Fred and George all his troubles, I am sure they could have helped him to find so, uh, some much more humorous master plans for the end of the series. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I love Fred and George. So in Fred's honor, I would like to propose a toast. Ears to Fred, Aaron. Ears to Fred, Laura. Well, that's all for this issue of Scurvy 5. Look for the full eulogy to Fred in our upcoming issue 19 of Scurvyless. time for Canon Conundrums. Listen in as our panel tries to figure out one specific issue from the Harry Potter canon. Who could possibly figure that out? Well, welcome, Canon Conundrums. John, you didn't do the thing. We haven't even started until we say welcome to Canon Conundrums. I don't even know when we start. Oh, I think we started. Hello, everyone. Oh, hi. Yes. Well, <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> we got up to a rousing start. It's a beautiful day in conundrum land. What are we talking about today, guys? Ooh, I like this topic. The Malfoys. Malfoys! What's our big crazy question? It is, when did the Malfoys' allegiances change from yes. Voldemort? And, you know, immediately thought about the fact that when we say Malfoys, we're talking three people, and it did all not three. happen the same for all three. So, when did... Each Malfoy, at which time did they all switch allegiances? I don't think they all did. You don't think they all did? 
No. You don't see when Lucius Malfoy and Narcissus are running through the Great Hall in the middle of the battle and all they can do is scream for Draco and they don't pay any attention to the fighting around them. Yeah, I, I, I read that part too. I were all looking for their kid, but does, does that mean that they suddenly believe in the Order now and believe in their, that cause? Nobody's saying they went good. It You're just so just... black and white, John. It's not what we uh, Well... <laughs> I mean, Narcissa lies to Voldemort. Yeah. If anybody overtly does something that is against Voldemort, that it was when she lies to him like that, but... On, on, not just a mere lie, but the biggest lie of all. Yeah, huge, huge lie. But all three of them, you know, if you're not working for Voldemort, he's going to kill you. So that pretty much means you're... Right. Did you know, we ever know whether or not Narcissa was a Death Eater anyway? No, she wasn't. Um, I don't think she was, no. Yeah. All right, I don't, so I don't think we know, but I don't think Wasn't that so. a question? I think Joey actually answered that. Yeah, after yeah I thought she, had, post. she addressed She that. said that she was symp- sympathetic with the causes, but she was not a Death Eater herself. No. So she didn't make any like sworn oath to, to Voldemort. But obviously she's been she's been supportive of Voldemort's practices in the past, even if she wasn't a right. Death Eater. Sure. I mean, Narcissa, I think, is the key, because she's the one that told yeah. the big lie, capital letters, the big lie. And I think you have to go all the way back to the beginning of Book 6 when, with, the, with the Unbreakable Vow. I agree. Yeah, I, I think th- she's like sure. she's the easy one. I think at, at that point, Narcissa saw Voldemort for what he was, and and that was the point where right. well, she didn't completely change, but I think that's where the turning point happened. I think well, she looked at that and said, "He is willing to sacrifice my family for an honest mistake, and I'm not going to support this." And I think that. Well, from that here's point the on, thing: I don't think that that was the first time she realized that. I think she always knew yeah. that this was this guy no. would do this. But the second it became reality is right. when she said, "Okay, now I act against this guy." You know, yeah. right? I think Narcissa is one of those characters that. Joe's additional potential book she has coming. Are, she, she's one of those characters that it's made for, pretty much. Mm-hmm. How interested are you guys to hear about this person's life? I and mean, this yeah. is the person mm-hmm. that we said was responsible for Draco having, you know, the natural gift with occulency there. She was somebody that probably he didn't agree with Voldemort enough to become one of his Death Eaters. But still, you know, for the sake of her marriage and her family, fell in line to it. Well, yeah, and look at her two sisters. One of them's Bella. The other one sure. is Andromeda, who is pretty much the other way. Right. You've got Narcissa right in the middle. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. Two huh? extremes, yeah. that's true. She's got the, yeah, between the two extremes. She could play both sides, though. Mm-hmm. Well, she played it very beautifully, actually. I mean, she played it, she, yeah. because you know what she did? She did the ultimate thing. She kept her family alive yeah. in the most precarious mm-hmm. of situations. Here she was living Right. At the yeah. same time, she's living with the devil. She's living mm-hmm. with yeah. in the face of the And there she sits around that table, yeah. and she is, at this point, she's in charge of the family. You notice exactly. that? Exactly. Nobody yeah. does anything without it. I mean, Draco looks right. to her. Lucius looks to her with the whole wand thing, and when she squeezes mm-hmm. his hand, yeah. hands over the wand, yeah. she is now in charge. She has become the strength of that family and the and the one in charge. And so, yeah. Tough and I think, And you with know, pure, unabashed, crazy bravery. Yeah. He, and it's it's, oh, it's yeah. despicable bravery, but it's bravery all the same. She turns around and lies. It's not despicable bravery, but it's bravery on the evil side. She turns mm-hmm. around and she just lies, and it's and without hesitation, with the triumph that he expects to Voldemort, who is an who's a legitimate. She he should be able to tell if she's lying. Yeah, he's notorious yeah. for it. I mean, he obviously didn't even consider he he treats as of you, know, you realize that he refers to um, Lucius as being wandless. Yeah. yeah, that's what she that's what they call the the beggars in the 
street in Diagon Alley is wandless. We're talking about he treats them the way that he treats house elves. Yeah. At that yeah. point, they're worthless to him. He throws them aside. And I think that's also the point where he stops paying attention to them to his peril because he does not realize yeah. that she's lying because he doesn't even think enough of her as a human being to think she might turn on him. And it goes again with the whole thing of love that, you know, she loves her yep. son and he can't get, he doesn't get it. But do you think oh, yeah. too that she loves Lucius? Yes. See, because I kind of wondered about that whole, she, you know, Voldemort let Lucius rot, frankly, mm-hmm. in Azkaban, all of mm-hmm. book six. He was just mm-hmm. there, and, and I think it was to, to torture Draco, to make Draco right. his pawn. Well, I think, and Draco to torture but, Narcissa. Yeah. And, and Voldemort to torture Lucius. That's right. true. So do you think, though, that Lucius turned before he went into Azkaban and served, have, would have been serving Voldemort even before, just out of fear, when he returned and, and Goblet of Fire? So I don't know that I he even turned. I have to wonder if Lucius ever really, right, if Lucius was ever anything but what he is, which is only and completely mm-hmm. out for himself. Think about him in the yeah. when they captured when, in the whole mm. conversation about when they captured Harry and, and Hermione and Griphook and all these people. He was beside himself. The book even says Harry oh, yeah. couldn't even imagine. He never heard him so excited, thinking that he was going to back into the good graces of Voldemort. So I think Lucius probably. I don't know if he ever turned until he's you know at the end sitting in the Great Hall with his family, going, "What happened? You know, what, what happened?" Yeah. So I don't know if Lucius ever turned. But then there's the whole question of Draco too. Ah, yeah, exactly. Well, when Draco you know. turned is a point, I think, of probably the most contentious debate, because I think instantly you think, oh, right, when he couldn't kill Dumbledore, but then you think, well, no, he was crying all throughout book six, and maybe ever since he was presented with the real reality of becoming a Death Eater is when he started to go. And the simple fact that when, when he they had captured Harry and Hermione, and so he just basically refused to identify them. He knew that was Hermione. I don't think that's yeah. the first, you know. Yeah, and you think about all, the, he would have loved in any other book, in any other book besides maybe from the middle of book six, he would have loved to have been the guy to say, yeah, that's Harry Potter, just would you kill him already? But then, he is the one who's chasing after him in the Room of Requirement later, so what, I, yeah. I can't figure him out. That seems like, like th- he did a total switch. Well, all he's doing and all he's done, the whole books, is falling into line with what his dad believes in. Right, that's true. It's something that happens all the time. You know, you see so many kids come out there with the same political beliefs of their parents and everything Mm -hmm. else, same religious beliefs as their parents, until they grow up a little bit and discover things for themselves. You notice that Draco was not all into Snape anymore once he thought that Snape was the one to mess things up with his father. Mm -hmm. He didn't look at Snape as the man who is now closer to Voldemort. Maybe I should be closer to Snape to get closer to Voldemort. Mm -hmm. His allegiances aren't to be the world's best Death Eater or even maybe even to be a Death Eater. It was whatever Lucius thought was important. And when Lucius's faith was questioned... The Malfoys are all out for the Malfoys. Yeah, you know, that's true, John. They are basically out for themselves. That is true. They're constantly... It's like they are always evaluating... At moment to moment, the situation and choosing which side is winning. And when it seemed that Voldemort was was winning the battle, all of a sudden Draco's all Voldemort, Voldemort. I better do something to prove myself to Voldemort right now. You know, mm-hmm. like crap, mm-hmm. we're going to be rewarded. What's a ditem? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's a ditem? But yeah. see, that's the thing, though. I kind of wonder still because he had a choice at and at that point, that battle. This is the. They all had to know this is the ultimate moment. That battle of Hogwarts. This is it. This is the moment that everyone, you know, you. Yeah, they must have seen point. the title of the chapter. Yeah, they must have. But no, here's a point that you had to instinctively know this is it. My life Mm -hmm. is forever changed. Whatever happens after this point, there's no going back in either direction. And yet Draco 
didn't actually overtly choose Harry's side. And I still wonder about that moment. I just... Well, but up until then, Voldemort was really... I mean, Voldemort and the Death Eaters were really... It's a short expanse of time where you sort of have the characters realize that, wait a second, this is not at all going like it was before. The good guys are starting to win. And then that, that big Bellatrix moment happens. And then, you know, Harry steps forward and then nobody else does anything. So I think maybe if that got, had gone on a little longer... Draco might have tried to, like, weasel himself to the other side, you know? Sure, they're just totally shaken up at that point. Yeah. Their, their whole world is upside down this entire year. I mean, when I first saw Lucius there in his house and the way he was acting, the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, is this what happens when the Dementor takes your soul? Mm-hmm. Are you just yeah. this empty of a person? I right. could have sworn that right. happened to him. And I'm right. like, oh my gosh, that's huge. Because why else would he not have the confidence to even answer Voldemort's question without looking at his wife first, you mm-hmm. know? Knowing that that is not what happened. They're, they've, they basically lost their faith in what they've been believing in this their whole lives almost here. And they just don't know which way is up. And all, all they can do instinctively is to watch out for themselves and to reevaluate what they should be doing with themselves. Mm-hmm. So do you think that they were ever truly committed to the, what I say, the Voldemort vision, the Voldemort, the Death Eater vision of the pure blood race? I think Lucius was. I think they all believed in it, and it's if given the choice, they will say, yes, we believe the pure blah, 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 blah. But for them, it's it's not the primal force. For them, their primal driving forces or strict survival overriding yeah. everything else yeah i think yeah. i think so i think their main their number one loyalty is to themselves yeah and and back before their survival was in question you know their their priorities were you know status they, they, what, yeah those status they wanted to be you know a high society family you know you know who my father is and this and that it's, that gets it was instilled on Draco his whole life. So they're out to be better than everybody. So when you got Voldemort who says, you know, muggles are, they don't deserve magic and they mm-hmm. can eliminate people that they feel are beneath them, then that's something they would certainly get behind. You know, the, the methods, of course, are, are brutal, Voldemort's methods and stuff. Yeah. So, but uh, it was just uh, the means to the end that they were interested in. I mean, just think about Draco in the Battle of Hogwarts. He's just gotten his butt almost kicked. Harry has saved his life again. They go and he's getting, he's two seconds out of the room of requirement. He's going and trying to sell himself to the Death Eater side. And, you know, and they they go and save his life again, you know. And it's just like, you just had your life saved by the other side. He doesn't care. His only way through this group of Death Eaters is to make him think that he's with them. You know, I really have to say the one thing that really surprised me, one of the many things that surprised me about this book, was, but is in the chapter when Lucius actually asks about his son. And I think that was the first time, because I always thought that was never like a really big thing to him. I just thought he viewed Draco as... I mean, I hate to put it like this, but an accessory, uh, you know, like a token. Yeah. Well, here's my my his heir. His heir. Yeah, yeah exactly right. right. And and were, that's a big thing to a family like that. Mm-hmm. Were you guys surprised by that? I mean, I don't know that that he was shows showing concern. Yeah, talking about this vision of pure blood and stuff. I just it just seems to me that there would be that that type of vision would be something that would put your the cause over their family first. You know, that's always struck yeah. me is is that kind of mentality. And then you see Lucius beaten and and bloodied and sitting there and he's sure. asking about his son. I think you could definitely read it that way yeah. and I, i'm not saying i, I disagree even I, it makes me wonder i mean i would ask knowing what we know of these characters if 
that Malfoy has had a daughter, would he be as interested? Hmm. I mean, do you, do you remember how upset uh, Phineas was? Yeah. When he heard that Sirius Black was gone, the last mm -hmm. of the Blacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're a family mm -hmm. like that, your heirs and your line continuing is very important. You got a tapestry for Christ's sake to show you the line of people. Mm -hmm. Do we know of any other Malfoy males that can continue that line? Uh, we don't know. That's a good observation. No, I don't think so. But we have what's the name? Scorpius, though, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, we do now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, praise be. Yeah. A, a fanfic pointed out something very important to me. You know who's going to inherit a big chunk of the black money? Because he's Tonks' daughter yeah. or son. I mean, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Fernworthy. I hadn't even made that connection. It just I, I read it. I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. He's like the last black yeah. heir without the name who black. You know, Teddy's. Teddy. Oh right, I thought you were talking about Draco, and I'm trying no. to. No, oh, isn't that crazy? Okay. I gotta start paying attention. That's true. It's just totally hilarious knowing the black line, and then thinking that <laughs> going to the werewolf, the son of a werewolf. <laughs> the son of the werewolf. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh wow, well, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. You got punked <laughs> for the win. <laughs> Teddy. Teddy. That's, that's worse than if it went to Harry. Oh dear. That's, oh man, yeah, that's yeah, it's funny. But I'm sorry, topic. Oh. <laughs> oh, I well, know. I was just thinking about Draco and the scene because I've got this problem with the fact that. In one scene, in Malfoy Manor, he is kind of refusing to give away. Right. And then in the scene in the Room of Requirement, where he seems to be just, uh, again, back to normal Malfoy, I was just kind of quick glancing at the book. He starts that scene, but he totally loses control of it. I mean, yeah. he basically says, you've got my wand, and then Crab takes over. Yeah. And so yeah. he just loses control of the situation right there. And all of a sudden, the conversation between Harry and Crab who he's hardly even heard talk before. It's hilarious. <laughs> he's never spoken. Where in the hell does that come Seven from? books, he hasn't said a word. And all of a sudden, yeah. he's, he's spewing diving. I love that. And his voice is surprisingly soft. I'm just imagining this big old kind of lumpy guy going, hey there. <laughs> quick polyjuice test. Quick imperious test. Nope. Okay. What the hell? <laughs> Crab. But I mean, seriously, it's like, it's like we're, we're, seeing, we're seeing Draco in that situation. But literally, we don't know. What would he have done if Crab wouldn't have started shooting off his mouth and shooting off his spells that he couldn't control, you know? I mean, <laughs> you got a Crab. What does Crab do? He sees a 50-foot-tall pile of junk right next yeah. to him and says, I'm going to knock that sucker over. I mean, oh, man, yeah. Crab. Well, really not known for the brains. But, you know, it, it's sort of it's the same thing as like Lucius with the Death Theaters. He'd have no status and he would lose the control of a situation. Draco mm -hmm. now has no status with these people mm -hmm. and Crab takes right. over, mm -hmm. you know, to yeah. everyone's death. Detriment. Yeah, yeah, oh, exactly. Fiend fire. What were you thinking, Crab? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God, Crab's Crab's the kind of person that you put the sorting hat on and it starts laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to exactly see that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and so, so I mean, I, that, I guess that's it. Doesn't tell me in, a lot, but at least it does make me feel a little better about that that kind of flip flop that I'm seeing with Draco. Because, at one hand, I mean, when I see him in the manor there, I see him deliberately. Not wanting to, right? You know, send his send his crazy aunt calling Voldemort, and at the same time, yeah. you know, he turns around and why, why is he in the castle with Crab and Goyle? Because he wants to get what? Right. He sees he wants, Harry, Ron, he and Hermione go into the room of requirement. He goes with them. 
yeah. Is well, it, but it know, sounds like it sounds it sounds especially like, like it was like it was more crab the whole time. I mean, think about it. Draco's mm-hmm. he's back he's back at Hogwarts. He has cronies. He has supporters. But in that scene, mm. it sounds as though Crab was direct calling the shots, and Draco is the one who's saying, "No, don't kill him. Aren't you stupid? Voldemort wants yeah. him alive." You know, he seems to be the one trying to bring it back. But Crab keeps pushing it forward because now Crab sees the prize. <laughs> Crab's hella insane. Yeah. Great. I, I think Joe sets it up perfectly in, in Deathly Hollows in that first chapter when she basically sets us up with Draco as a very scared young kid. Yeah. And she does it almost so overtly that she doesn't even mention right away who she's talking about. Right. She mentions, you know, the pale boy uh-huh. looking up right. at the body up there. And then she tells us it's Draco. Well, that's about all we have time for this week, guys. I mean... Malfoy's man, that was awesome. That's really interesting. I don't know when they turn. It's just so much to think. <laughs> I know? wish we had more time. I mean, clearly they've all. We should we should talk about them more. Oh, definitely. Lies with everything else. I'm sure we'll be hitting it again before too long. Who knows? Yeah. Ooh. I'm always happy to talk Malfoy's. Can we ask Jason to talk about it? That would be great. Yeah, maybe maybe he'll be one of our future guest hosts for. Phoenix Files and that'd be awesome. Yeah, five bits. <laughs> which eventually will start. Yeah, Ooh. definitely. Okay. All right, guys, let's push on. Let's do it. So, John. So me. Why does Slughorn think you ought to download Pottercast next week? Why? Because we can't get it. It's so hysterical. Is that what he's saying? Because you can, can, can. Yes. Oh, I didn't know those words. <laughs> because we can't, can't, can. can. Just... <laughs> you just had that little image of like Slughorn. You know how you describe him? He has a little hat on, his little tee, you know, out there. That can't, can't, can. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. That's awesome, John. Well, fun show, fun show, guys. Joe is so... coming. She's coming here in less than a month. I can't even less stop thinking month. about it. I bet. Yep. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a good time. A lot of a lot of Potter fans coming into town. Yes. I'm going oh, to oh, the oh. L.A. And the NY um, appearances. Well, just, you know, I'm traveling to the cities, of course. But uh, I'm going to have, I'm already planning my big signs I'm going to make. And uh, my special t-shirt I'm going to make. Does it involve a D word? Our friend. I might just have to go in costume as dollish, (laughs) just so uh, I'm spotted properly. Trench coat and fedora. I'm wearing my trench coat just because, you know, I'm going to have my hello, my name is Dollish. <laughs> so. Oh, my God. I so dare you. I so dare you to do that. Like, just be outside our cars in mean, the and the security people, and there you are lurking in your fedora. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't look suspicious. Not at all. <laughs> John Noe arrested. Yeah. I'll just tester. have to keep my eyes peeled John. for, like, weird-looking grandmothers. Beware of the vulture hats, John. We're just saying. I know. No. <laughs> I swear. Wow. The attack of the vulture. Is there an opportunity, like during this thing, for people to ask questions? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. There's a Q and A and a reading and a, a, a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get in touch with somebody who's gonna get the go because I want to figure out, um, you know, if Galvish indeed was aware that this grandmother he was approaching was dangerous. <laughs> I fear he got for Joe. Pwned I by do. a woman I in a vulture hat. Poor yeah. Joe. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was no ponage there. It was about. all, you know, taken advantage of the situation oh. at Jolish's chivalry. <laughs> That's all she did. You, you, you know, yeah. you wonder where chivalry went, and grandmothers out there like that just totally. <laughs> 
could get on the you bus. You know what? If if he was no threat to her, she would not whip his butt so bad that he would end up in St. Mungo's. I'm just saying that there was... It was probably just one crappy lucky shot. (laughs) I'm sure. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. She was probably sitting there like eating porridge or something and he's like, come on, lady, we need to go. Eating porridge. She's like, okay, Uh okay, let me go get my bag over here. And like Dollar turns around and bam, like a sucker shot right to the back of the head. Probably all You know when you said that, I had that flash of like the granny from the hillbillies just whacking him on the head. That's just hysterical. No. I don't think that that was yeah. it. You know, I mean, you would hope that Dollish would be a little bit more astute to foresee. Well, who would suspect would a little grandmother? So. It's like a little Mrs. Fig there. She's not dangerous looking. Oh. I don't know. Oh, boy. Okay, guys. I don't know. Just say it. Anyway. Yes. Oh, can we just say one more thing to our friend? No. We, we have friends? We have a friend. Who's a friend of Pottercast? Oh yes, love. that's it's, right, John. That? Very. She's oh, hot. Oh. She's happening, and she just Happy had her birthday. birthday. To mm-hmm. Hot Cheryl. Triple T Hot Cheryl. Yay, Cheryl! It was her birthday. Happy. She's now twenty. Yeah, she's twenty-one now. Hmm. Twenty-one years old. Hooray! And still yeah. hot. <laughs> Darn right. Hot Cheryl, being Cheryl Klein, one of the editors on Harry Potter, and a very good, good lady. She is. Yes. Love you, Cheryl. Hope you had a happy birthday. Woohoo! And she's she's dating a Weasley, which is awesome she too. Is. James Weasley. All of you people out there trying to date your Weasleys, she's actually managed to do it. So, I mean, he's literally he's he's a walking Weasley. He jumped it's out amazing. of the book. Well, that's yeah. somehow perfect. And she's very and she's very much she's very much like Hermione, so it's really interesting. Yeah. Because they look like Bill and Fleur, but you know they are yeah. really more around Hermione. I'm surprised she was able to convince him to grow that ponytail. Okay, it's so. actually not looking that bad. Stories I've heard. All right. All right. Sorry. Okay, yeah. so what is going on for next week? Next week is Banned Books Week, and we're not going to forget no, this not. time that we did last year. Oh. Whoops. And, um, yeah, marvelous. And we're going to hear from our friend Laura. Now, remember when you hear the clip of Laura Mallory, it wasn't recorded for broadcast. Right. It was recorded for the sake of transcri- recording an interview. We're in a restaurant. It's noisy. You're not going to... My voice is far away because I put the microphone by her. So, you know, just... It's not a broadcast clip. It's like a clip of my private files kind of thing, you know? Private. I knew you were going to make a comment. What? I knew it. Just shut up. Just just, just don't go further there. <laughs> it's so, I can't go so much further. I know. I'm also putting recordings of her privates on the show. John. Oh. <laughs> John, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh god I think we might have okay, to bump the rating on that episode John I'm leaving oh, hey, oh, leaving. hey I want to I need to mention to all of our potential future podcast co-hosts out there that if they want to uh, join the trio here us trio PC trio during our first uh, specific Deathly Hollows uh, segment sequentially going through Deathly Hollows chapter ahead of time bit by bit and our Phoenix Files they have up until it's for people who are big fans. So you listen to it on Sunday night. We need your email by Monday night if you're on board, and uh, we'll probably tape it on uh, on Wednesday. So there you go. Pressure's on. Pressure is on. We already, we already have hey a couple guys, people late, actually. Late in the year, I might have to take a little vacation from Podcast. Oh, is that right? Be a little busy or something. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> are we going to aud- audition your replacement? Well, there's going to be like a six-week period where if I have the time to record podcast, I'm doing something really wrong. So, um, I think I'm. I might. I might. Frack will substitute. I might have a. Yeah, I might have a replacement in line, but um, just an FYI, 
I might be taking a little so It'll be fun. It's like when Dave Letterman was like having his heart attack thing and like they had all these other people come in and what? Okay. I'm not having a heart attack, everybody, just so you know. (laughs) Yeah, you're planning your heart attacks in advance now. In advance, that's right. Yes. Anyway. It's sad. Anyway, okay, so getting out of here. Great week. Best show we've ever done for this number of yada yada. Yeah. (laughs) You're not even trying anymore. Let's put the music on and dance our way out. Because we can't, can't, can't! Yes, we can't, 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 can't! Bye, everybody. Bye. Woo! You've missed it. Papa, you. I confess myself disappointed. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to bed. Great, Scott. No wonder. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Spooky how the time flies when one's having fun. (laughs) This week's Pottercast was produced by the Pottercast Trio and Steve Bonnet. The show was edited by Steed, Hildy, Samantha, and Liz. Thanks to Steve Vanderark for joining us for Canon Conclusions. Thanks to our Scooby 5 team, Aaron and Nina. And thanks, as always, to our awesome transcription elves for transcribing this and all our other episodes on Pottercast.com. For more information about the show and how to contact us and be a part of future episodes, visit Pottercast.com. <laughs>